Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself, without comparing himself to anyone else. For each one should carry his own load. May God bless the reading of his word. Morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. Um, in case you didn't see me, well, if you regularly regularly attend here, in case you didn't see me uh, last Sunday, Millie and I got back uh, from the Asia short-term mission trip uh, last Saturday night. Uh, and you'll hear about more about the trip uh, and some of the things that happened on, on another Sunday. But overall, it was a very good uh, trip, and uh, it's good to be back, though, uh, worshiping with you. Uh, going overseas. As Terry kind of alluded to in his prayer, it makes you realize how blessed we are at Crossbridge. Um, While we were in the city that we were at, we had an opportunity to attend the uh, Sunday worship, or where they call it the Sunday gathering of some expats who were there uh, full-time. It was a very small group of people meeting uh, in someone's apartment. Um, We started by singing some songs, and how we sang songs was we just sang along to uh, a laptop uh, computer, you know, basically playing YouTube videos with uh, lyrics on the bottom. And then we watched the videotape uh, of a message uh, from a pastor here, that, uh, you know, of a pastor from back here in the States. And so that, not to imply that it should be, you know, any less meaningful or of lesser worth, um, but it's nice to come back and have a, you know, live worship band leading worship, and it's nice to come and have people uh, speaking live from the pulpit. And uh, being away, too, you know, just also reminded me of how blessed we are at this church to have so many capable people who are able to, you know, speak when someone is away. Uh, I got a chance when I came back to listen to Eric and Patek's message, uh, and I was just very encouraged by that. I was blessed by Chris's message uh, last Sunday. Uh, I wasn't able, unfortunately, to listen to uh, Lee's message because it wasn't posted, but I heard it was very encouraging. So I think, you know, we're just so fortunate they have so many gifted people who can uh, fill in uh, when people are away. And just to preview uh, next week, uh, not not someone from our own congregation, but uh, we're going to actually have another guest speaker next week. Um, Greg Shu, uh, who is this year's Crossbridge speaker, is going to be giving the message, kind of previewing some of the things he'll be talking about uh, during Crossbridge retreat next month. Uh, I had a chance to meet up with him, have lunch with him last month, and I'm really looking forward to hearing him speak because he seemed to have a lot of good insights and, and, and sharing and experiences as it relates to evangelism. Uh, so, uh, you know, come next week and you'll be encouraged, I think, by his message. Uh, getting to the message for today, you know, uh, most of you know I spent most of my younger years uh, growing up in Chicago, and growing up in Chicago at the time I did, I became very familiar with uh, Willow Creek Church. Even though I faithfully attended my church uh, every Sunday, uh, I would often attend Willow Creek's midweek service, uh, driving uh, 45 minutes without traffic to attend uh, their service because 
Right. To be honest, the services were just that good. Uh, the, the creativity and innovation displayed were, were just really inspiring. Um, several years later, when I followed God's call into full-time ministry, uh, their senior pastor, Bill Hybels, uh, was one of my heroes. His heart and passion uh, for re- reaching the lost was just unquestionable. And, and he, he was such a gifted leader. I, I could only aspire to you know, just have like half of the leadership ability that he had. Uh, Willow Creek, you know, for some of you are familiar with them, planted multiple churches around Chicago. I think currently they have about 25,000 people attending all their services in uh, the Chicagoland area. Um, they've partnered globally with other churches and organizations worldwide. Uh, so, so they're doing great work. And I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news lately, but Willow Creek and Bill Hybels have been in it, and that for good reasons. Uh, accusations have been made against Hybels in years past and currently by women who claim he's done some inappropriate things while with them. Uh, we don't know all that's true, uh, but some things were verified, nothing very major. Uh, but because of the things that have recently come out, uh, Hybels was forced to resign. Uh, the two pastors who were hired to take over leadership once Hybels retired or, or resigned uh, also stepped down. And the whole board of elders uh, resigned after acknowledging that mistakes were made and recognizing that new people needed to come on board. And I'm not sharing all this with you to, to bash Willow Creek or Bull Hybels. I actually still have a lot of uh, admiration for their ministries, for their church. Uh, my brother and his family are still committed members of one of their uh, church plants. And my father, many, many years ago, was moved to be baptized there, uh, even though he had opportunities to be baptized at other churches he's attended in the past. And, and much of the work they're doing is still very good. Uh, so it saddens me and burdens me to read about all that is happening with Hybels and with the church. And we, yeah, I just pray uh, for their church, for Hybels, his family, his ministry. Um, and it, you know, but it calls them the question as we look at instances like this, like, how could the church have handled it better? And maybe not to such a large degree as that, but our passage this morning gives us insight on what to do when someone is caught in sin. If you've been with us for most of the series, you see that we're almost done with uh, the book of Galatians. You know, we're starting the last chapter, uh, obviously, today, and, and maybe... Some of you feel like, you know, you're ready for it to end. Uh, throughout uh, this series, you've probably learned more about circumcision than you've ever wanted to know. Uh, I don't think I can recall another series when circumcision has been mentioned so many times uh, through consecutive weeks than it has been here. Um, but if you recall uh, the, the occasion, the purpose of the letter, you know, the attempts by some Jewish Christians to get others to adhere to the Old Testament law, you know why this was a recurring topic. And as we shift to this issue of confronting sin, you know, we need to ask ourselves, well, how does this fit in with the rest of Galatians? Or, you know, since this is kind of the last chapters, Paul just kind of, you know, just writing a bunch of one-offs, jotting down notes that he wanted to make sure the Galatians knew before he ended the letter. Well, if you're here with us last week and you heard Chris's message, you recall that you know, what he focused on was on how to live a spiritual life, so what it means to be filled with the Spirit. 
At the end of chapter 5, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, and then he concludes, since we who are believers live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So if you think about it, if you think about the purpose of the book, you could, you know, discern and probably logically conclude that there were probably three types of groups in the Galatian church. One group were these Jewish Christians who were telling others that they needed to follow the Old Testament law. You had a second group of Gentile Christians who believed the Jewish Christians and began to observe the Old Testament law thinking that it would earn them greater favor with God. And then you had this third group who were Gentile believers who thought the Jewish Christians were full of baloney and, and didn't buy into what they were teaching. So you can see how just the mere existence of these three groups could cause factions within the church as they debate this issue. So Paul tells his audience, you know, don't become conceited, don't provoke each other, don't think of yourself better than one another. But then what happens when a person does fall into sin? What if a Gentile believer is lured into this, this false teaching by these Jewish Christians? What if this person begins to lead others astray? What do you do with that sin? Well, this is what Paul talks about at the beginning of chapter 6. Paul wants to ensure that the Galatians strive towards the love and unity he wrote about earlier in his letter. So by writing on this topic, he actually speaks to the Galatians and how they are to become this caring community, caring for one another, caring for themselves. So let's talk about these things as we get into our passage. You know, the passage, as you read it, as you heard Terry read it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. But when you look at the verses a little more carefully, several questions can be raised, which I hope to address in this message. And you can see them in your outline, in your bulletin. So first, what do you do if a person falls into sin? Well, the answer is you confront the sinner. You confront the sinner. You care for one another by confronting the sinner and talking to them, to him or her, about the sin. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. So yes, the sinner needs to be confronted, but who should do it? From the verse, it talks about those who are spiritual should do it. And some of you may read this and kind of breathe a sigh of relief, thinking, well, that's good, I'm not that spiritual of a person, so I don't need to do this. But what does Paul mean when he says those who are spiritual should confront the sinner? Well, once again, remember in the last chapter, Paul talks about what it means to live in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, to live in the power of the Spirit so we will not give in to sinful desires. Two verses later, it refers to those who are led by the Spirit. And then in verses 22 to 23, Paul describes the characteristics of what make up the fruit of the Spirit. And earlier in places like chapter 3, Paul reminds his readers on how all who have placed their faith in Jesus have received the Spirit. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're seeking to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
if you're displaying elements of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, well, then you're spiritual. Paul isn't seeking a level of perfection or maturity in verse 1. The instruction, I think, would have applied to most of the, well, at least maybe a good number of the Galatian church members at that time. So I believe it would apply to a good number of us here this morning. You who are spiritual need to confront a sinner. And how are we to confront someone who fell into sin? Paul also tells us in verse 1 that it should be done gently. The goal of confronting a sinner is to restore him or her. In the original language of this verb, um, you know, to confront the sinner meant to repair or mend something that is broken. So that's the goal, to bring reparation to the person, to make him or her right before the Lord, to bring them into repentance, and to have them turn from their sin. And we need to do this gently because being too harsh could crush the the person or damage them. And so it makes sense that Paul says those who are spiritual should be the ones to confront the sinner, to restore the sinner, because those who are spiritual display the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? If you remember, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then what comes after that? Gentleness, right? So the spiritual person is already displays this characteristic of gentleness. So in approaching the sinner, we do this gently. We approach him wanting him or her to recognize the sin, to see their current condition, and call them to acknowledge the sin and repent of it. It's not trying to point fingers at someone. It's not to be critical or judgmental because we personally may have been angered by what the person did. It's to come in humility, recognizing that we too are sinners. What's interesting I find in verse 1 is that Paul, we find Paul less focused on the fact that a person sinned and more on how the person is restored. Because I don't think Paul's surprised when people sin because he recognizes we all are sinners. We still struggle with sin. So Paul writes not to do, or not what to do if a person sins, but what to do when a person sins. And he's very careful to put emphasis on how we are to restore that person. In addition to confronting the sinner, Paul next teaches to care for each other by helping to carry the load. We care for one another by carrying each other's load. Verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In context, I see two instances where we help each other's load when it comes to a person's sin. First, if someone is struggling with sin, we help them carry the load by coming alongside him or her and supporting that person in his or her struggle. Though you may have confronted the sinner and pointed out the sin, even if she acknowledges the sin, if it's an aggressive, you know, habitual sin, it can be a process to be fully restored from that sin. So we hope one carry one another's load by praying with the person, by keeping in close fellowship with them, meeting out with the person regularly, by helping him or her stay accountable as they struggle with the sin. The second way we carry someone's load as it relates to sin is by supporting them through the consequences of the sin. 
You know, sin can create a domino effect in a person's life. Sin can cause broken relationships, financial hardships, emotional toil, you know, other physical difficulties. I remember many years ago, at a church I attended, uh, one of the teenagers at our church got pregnant. And this obviously was very difficult for the family, difficult, you know, for this individual. And it could have caused a very difficult situation for the church. I remember, though, that while not condoning the sin, some of the women decided that they were going to get together to throw this teenager a baby shower before the girl had her baby to celebrate this new life that was going to come and give her what she needs to prepare for this baby. After the baby was delivered, they came alongside her to support her as a single mother since the father wasn't in the picture. And this, to me, was just a great illustration of carrying someone's load because this had the impact of being a great witness to this woman and to her family as she struggled with the consequences of her actions. You know, in helping to carry one another's load, Paul says in verse 2, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. But then there raises the question of, well, what is the law of Christ? And how do these acts actually fulfill it? Well, simply put, the law of Christ is the law to love. We see this back in chapter 5 once again. In chapter 5, verse 6, it reads, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith ex- expressing itself through love. And then in verses 13 and 14 of that same chapter, he adds, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. He says what it is, to love your neighbor as yourself. And to help us see how this law is fulfilled by verse 2, we need to remember once again what was going on in the Galatians church. Remember that you had these group of Jewish Christians who were commanding others to follow the Old Testament law. By rigorously following the law, the focus was on how those who followed the law created an exclusive group of people who were kind of God's people, who were the ones who were in favor with God, and set themselves apart from those who were on the outside, those who were, you know, the Gentile sinners. You know, if you were circumcised, if you followed kosher dietary laws, if you observed the Sabbath and so on, you were part of the in-group. But if you didn't do these things, sorry, you're on the outside. This separated, you know, so-called sinners from the people of God. But Paul in verse 2 shows how the law of Christ is to be different because he's asking readers not to exclude sinners, but rather carry the burden of sinners. By caring for the sinner and gently restoring him before God, instead of creating an exclusive community, we are creating inclusive communities which fulfill this law of love. And that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel that we were singing about earlier, is that it seeks to bring restoration and healing, not exclusion or isolation or division. Can you, and so can you imagine how attractive it would be if people saw those who committed sin and thought they were beyond forgiveness, being accepted into the community and restored through the gospel of Jesus? This is what Paul writes of 
in verse 2. This is what Paul calls us to do, to fulfill this law of love by carrying each other's burdens. And as we seek to care for others in these two ways, Paul would tell us to care for ourselves by taking caution and checking our motives and our actions. We care for ourselves by taking cautions in our motives and actions. In verses 3 to 5, he says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. You see, Paul wants to... Sorry, Paul wants us and warns us to take caution because one, we have to watch out that when we try to restore a sinner, we ourselves don't fall into that sin, which he writes about at the end of verse 1. But he also tells us to be cautious so that we don't come from a pride perspective or come from an attitude of superiority, thinking you know, that we're better than this fallen person. It's interesting, though, that Though in verse 3, he tells people not to be prideful. In verse 4, he gives them reasons to be prideful. Why is that? Is he contradicting himself? Well, another way that pride can be translated is boast. We could translate verse 4 to read, Then he will have reason to boast in himself without comparing himself to someone else. What Paul is doing is distinguishing between two kinds of pride or boasting. The first he alludes to, he alludes to in verse 4, is feeling a sense of pride because you're comparing yourself with another person and you think you're better than that other person. This is like the Pharisees in Luke 18 who prayed, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, not like these other sinners. Paul also kind of mentions this later in our chapter in verse 13 when he writes in verse 13 of Galatians 6, not even those who are circumcised obey the law Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. You see, these Jewish believers want to take pride in the Gentile believers being circumcised because by doing so, these Gentile Christians would validate their view that by getting circumcised, they belong to this elite group. But none of us can do this because before God, none of us are elite, we're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of God's forgiveness. The notice that Paul writes in verse 14, May I never boast or be prideful except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what Paul is talking about is not taking pride or boasting in the flesh or what we think we've accomplished on our own in comparison with others, What Paul is describing is another type of boasting, which is the boast we take pride in the work of Christ that he is doing in our lives and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives to bring about our salvation and transformation. You see, it's kind of paradoxical. If there's any boasting to be done, it's the second type of boasting or pride which declares not the work that we've done, but the work that God is doing inside of us. So that's how Paul can say in verse 3, you know, don't take pride in, don't compare yourself to others. But in verse 4, this is what you should be prideful of. This is what you can take pride in.
And related to this issue of pride, one more important point needs to be made, which is something that we often think we don't have pride in, but sometimes we do. See, many of us know we're not to be prideful, and we don't want to be prideful, so we shy away from confronting people because we see ourselves from a lowly position. You know, we're not the kind of people that Paul would say who think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We don't think of ourselves as better than another person, so we think, you know, I shouldn't be the one to confront this person because I'm also a sinner. I'm no better than this person. In reality, though, what we're experiencing is fear. And we know that confronting someone can be awkward, can be difficult, can be messy. We don't know how the person's going to react. We can face rejection and hostility. It could all just, you know, kind of blow up in our face. You may not think of it this way, but there is also a sense of pride contained in the sentiment. In Isaiah 51, 12 to 13, God would ask us, God says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mortal men, the sons of men who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? Now here God warns us that we are to fear him more so than man. And by not following his command to confront, it indicates a greater fear of man than God. And this, in this case, relates to pride. Because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't have to choose what we feel is better over what God commands. We don't want to feel rejected or embarrassed. We don't want to look stupid. You know, it's pride which causes us to fear man more than God. You know, in situations like this, it's, it's easy to think, you know, it's none of my business. What he does, you know, is his private life. But, you know, pride betrays us if we go around and talk about each other behind closed doors about the sin, but not confront the person about the sin. And I know instances like these do happen. But in a community, God calls us to be more than that. We're not to be a church that talks about sin behind closed doors, behind people's back, but not confront them with it. We are to be a church that seeks to fulfill the law of love rather than worrying about our personal feelings or inhibitions. And I know I'm guilty of you know, choosing the easy way a lot of times, choosing not to confront because it was you know, just much easier to do. Dietrich Badhofer, in his book, Life Together, had a great quote on the subject. He wrote, and let me show you what he says. He says, Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Let that think in for a few moments. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more con- compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Perhaps we have been too indifferent in the way we treat sin in another person's life. You know, we are all sinful beings who are greatly flawed in many ways. 
For those of us, though, who have experienced the love and forgiveness of God through Jesus, may we be a community that offers restoration and hope to the sinner. May we be less concerned with our pride and more concerned with the pride that we can have when we see God working to transform the lives of sinners and making them into his disciples. May we be such a caring community who works to care for others and ourselves. Let's close our prayer. And because of time, I'll just close in prayer and kind of give the benediction at this time. Father, we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for how Paul tells us to treat the sinner in our midst. Father, we know your word is, though maybe easy to understand, often difficult to put into practice. And so I pray that you would give us grace to empower us to do what you call us to do. To empower us through your spirit to become a community who loves and seeks to restore and heal the sinner and come alongside one another to carry each other's burdens. Lord, may we not be a community that seeks to talk behind a person's back without confronting. May we be communities who don't talk behind people's back, but lovingly confront. Because this is the correct way. This is your way. And so, Lord, give us a vision of what a community like this can be like as we seek to bring restoration and healing and we see you working in people's lives to transform us into this caring community of reconciled believers. Praise you and glorify you. Father, as we soon uh, will conclude the service, may your love and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each and every person here. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.